Before I jump into the sermon this morning, uh, I just want to put maybe a call to action for those of you guys that are parents and grandparents. Uh, Joe talked about camp, and camp's coming up. And I just want to tell you, when it comes to camp, uh, there are a few things in life as a young boy, young girl, that are more pivotal than the environment of camp when it comes to following Jesus. I can look back on my life and see major milestones where God did amazing work, and camp was one of those milestones for me. Uh, We've got over 15 kids just for kids camp that are registered, and we've got scholarships available. We've got people that are coming and saying, even if scholarships are taken up, I want to help send a kid to camp. Let me just tell you, if you're a parent, you're a grandparent, get your kids to camp. Get your kids to camp. There are are zero obstacles when it comes to finances, as far as I'm concerned. We'll figure out a way to get them to camp if finances is a thing. That's my encouragement to you. As Jesus is doing a work in our ministry and in the community, um, God is bringing kids to camp. I've got two of my son's teammates that don't even go to our church that are going to camp. I'm working on two others. If you know a kid down the road that needs to go to camp, Holy Spirit says, get them to camp, go talk to them. What would it look like if we had a record number of kids that go to camp this year? What would, what would Jesus do in that moment? Um, I'm fired up for camp. I'm excited for not only kids camp, but youth camp. So get your kids registered. Uh, come talk to me if you need to figure out a way to help get a kid to camp. Today we start a new sermon series called Wired for Worship. And uh, I'm really excited about this sermon series. I grew up in a small little Baptist church. And I'll just be really honest with you, how we did worship growing up in that little Baptist church is very different than how we do worship here. Anybody who grew up in a Baptist church, got any hymns people in here in the house of the Lord? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. you my people, right? You are my people. You understand uh, the rich history of hymns and, and worshiping with hymns and the theology that's, that's backed by these amazing songs. Um, but there was a time as I grew in my relationship with the Lord where... Um, I grew in my worship, but to be honest with you, like, it wasn't like an intentional, like, process. It was something that I just kind of stumbled through as I followed Jesus, and what I've noticed is that some of us, like, we maybe come from a more conservative background when it comes to worship, and maybe you don't know how to take a next step of, like, what it looks like to be expressive in your worship. I just want to tell you, like, as we get ready to watch a video, like, I believe the Lord loves when his children laugh right? Do you guys have those moments? Like, I have these moments where I'm driving down the road, and my daughter will just start cackling and laughing, and it just brings so much joy to hear them laugh, right? And as Michael uh, Jr. has said, if, if, if you get joy over your own kids laughing, what's it like for God to get joy when his own kids, us, laugh as well? And so we're going to watch a video by Tim Hawkins. explains how we can maybe grow in our expressiveness of worship to God. Let's take a look at it this morning. Each church has its own worship style, you know, which is cool. Some people are more expressive in worship, some people more subtle, and it's all good. Um, I go to a church that's pretty expressive in worship. It's, um, it's a hand-raising church. That's what it is, right? That's what, you know, anybody here go to a hand-raising church? Anybody here? Sweet. Who here does not go to a hand-raising church? Some of you are trying. You're like, I can't. I want to. I need to get some momentum. Totally cool. 
But hey, if you're not used to going to a hand-raising church, you want to go and join us, feel free to join us, but don't feel like you've got to join right in, okay? Start slow. We've got a lot of different hand-raises that we use. We actually have names for our hand-raises. So I'm going to walk you through real quick, okay, what they are, just to let you know. Say you're at my church, music is rocking, start slow. Hands in the pockets, little elbow flap, you're fine. Very subtle. Get warmed up. Get your heart rate up. When you're warmed up, start with the first one. Ready? Carry the TV. Carry the TV. That's our first one. Very subtle. Go to big screen. Big screen, a little wider. Next one's my fish was this big. My fish was this big. If you're a liar, you can go out there. That's fine. Don't worry about it. Jesus loves you. Grace. Next one's hold my baby. Hold my baby. Got dueling light bulbs. That's our next one, dueling light bulbs. Got goalpost. Everybody knows goalpost. Throwing a heartburn. A lot of people like to do heartburn. Double heartburn, right back to goalpost. What's my favorite? Mufasa. Mufasa, that's my favorite. The circle of life. Tim, can you go higher? Yes, you can. You can take one hand, go a bunch of different stuff. Pointer, hatchet, schoolroom. Release the doves, give the Lord a high five. Press it out. A lot of women like to wash the window. Wash the window. And when you're comfortable there, go for the big three. Village people, Rocky, touchdown. There you go. There's your big three. Here's what I find interesting. Um, maybe this is not your experience, but this is my experience, is I'm 36 years old. Started going to uh, church when I was a young boy and quit going to church during the middle school years. Went back to church in high school. Ended up going to Bible college and then went into full-time ministry. I've never heard up until about a year ago a sermon series, someone talking about why we worship, why we sing. And we do this every single Sunday, right? We do this, we sing, we come, we gather, we open God's word. No one ever talked about why we do what we do in regards to worship. As I was even talking to uh, Gloria over at AVL just earlier, I said, I just... I, have you ever experienced anybody talk about this? And she said, no, not necessarily, but like I went to Boise State University and they actually talked about music and how music changed over the time in, in faith and in the church. And I'm sitting there going, they talked about it at a secular university, but we haven't talked about it in Bible college? We talk about it in the church? Why do we do what we do? Why do we sing? Why do we raise our hands? If we feel led to. Why do we do the things that we do? We're going to go through a sermon series talking about why we worship. And when we talk about why we worship, no doubt how we live our lives is worship. Scripture talks about that. I've seen actually a lot of sermon series that focus just on that, that our lives are worship. And we're going to talk about that towards the end of the sermon series. But for the front half of this sermon series, we're going to talk specifically about today, like Sunday, why we sing, or maybe why we don't sing, and what the scriptures actually talk about in regards to what singing 
does and why we should sing. What's fascinating is there are 185 songs in the Bible. Do you know that? 185. That's a lot of songs. A couple other things. 80% of these songs are found in the Psalms. It's considered a song, song book. And we just did a sermon series on a specific person. Who was that person? David wrote a lot of these Psalms. Song of Psalm is an epic love song between a bride and a groom. Lamentations is a song book that mourns the fall of Jerusalem. It's a book that's full of, of lament, of crying out to God. Where are you? What are you doing? In the midst of Israel being removed from Jerusalem, songs to God. Psalm 119 is the longest song in the Bible. 2 Chronicles 5 and 20 are both of the shortest song in the Bible. And what's interesting, the song of Moses is the first song we find in Scripture. And it's the last song found in Scripture, kind of a redoing of that song in Revelation. Beginning, end. Singing. Singing all throughout the Bible. Singing all throughout the Scriptures. Why do we sing? Well, there's a couple things, reasons why we would sing. The Bible talks about how there are angels in heaven that are singing to God. Over and over and over again. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Scriptures say that the saints, those that have come and that have lived and that have died and gone to be with our Lord, that the saints are singing to God. Scriptures talk about how it's an integral part of being a disciple of Jesus, that singing is a part of the life that we live and call ourselves as followers of Jesus. When we sing, we build others up. Scripture talks about this. If we don't sing, it says in the Psalms that we stand actually at odds with creation because even, even creation is proclaiming the goodness of God. And when we don't sing, we're actually standing at odds and that singing worship to God is actually something we're supposed to actually take part in as being a part of God's created order in his universe that we actually participate in that reality of singing to God. And when we choose not to sing, we're standing at odds with all the rest of creation that declares the goodness of who God is. But what's the most important reason why? What's the most important reason why? Psalm 22. Psalm 22, verse 3. Psalm 22 is the psalm that Jesus is quoting while he's on the cross. Jesus is about ready to die. And he's worshiping. He's singing, quoting this psalm. In verse 3 it says, Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. There's three words I want to focus on today. Three words. The first one is holy. Kadash. Everybody say Kadash. It means sacred, holy one, saint, set apart God declares himself as holy as perfect as set apart you might be saying I already know that yes you may already know that but do you understand the gravity of that statement that God is unlike anything else that we can ever think ask or imagine he is beyond even our ability to fully comprehend how holy and perfect he is he is a God that is without sin he is a God that is without darkness. He is a God that is without any type of blemish. He's perfect. He's holy. 
And when we live our lives, we live our lives in this treasure valley, you realize that we live in one of the greatest places, I would argue, probably in the world? You guys are like, yeah, I know. That's why everybody's moving here, right? Like we're on the top 10 list like regularly, right? And yet, darkness, brokenness, sin is still everywhere. Do you see it? I do. Big and small. Doesn't really matter. God defines sin as sin. It's not big or small to him, right? It's all the same. Yesterday, I'm at the grocery store, getting ready for staff dinner. I'm at uh, Chevron or gas station, I can't remember what it's called. Get Papa Murphy's pizza, throw the pizza in the truck. I really wanted a squirt because it was hot. And a squirt just quenches the thirst. Get my squirt, get in line. Like seven people in front of me. And I notice someone cuts in front of the line. Honest mistake, right? A little bit later, another person cuts in line. I'm like, okay. Finally, a third person cuts in line right in front of me. And I'm about ready to say something because I'm normally a person that says something, but in my spirit, like, I'm going to say it and it's not going to be, it's going to be truth without love. <laughs> so I just am quiet. person who checks me out, he says two things. I'm sorry for the long wait, and I'm sorry that people are inconsiderate. I go, hey, it is what it is. But it is selfishness, isn't it? It's sin. It's brokenness. Driving down the road, I live in Cuna. I drive down Merding Road. Every day I see road rage. Every day I see cutting off. Every day I see the bird. Every day. Right? The opposite of God. The opposite of his goodness. The opposite of his love and his truth and his holiness and his perfection. And the writer says that God is holy and every day as good as it is here in the treasure valley every day i see brokenness there's only one that is holy there's only one that is perfect and the scriptures declare that this is who god is why do we worship because he is the great i am like we sang he is the one that is holy and is perfect he is the only one that is worthy of our worship. And here's the thing. We're all worshiping something. The question that we have to ask ourselves is, what is it? Is it the one and true God that is holy and that is set apart for us to proclaim as God? Are you with me this morning? There's only one. There's only one. And he's the only thing, the only thing that is worthy of our worship to sing to to lay our lives down to. This is what the writer says in Psalm 22. When we sing, singing songs in worship to God is a declaration of who God is, sung to him, sung to yourself, to ourselves, and sung to those around you. That's what singing, that's what worship is. 
is it's a constant reminder of the goodness of who God is and the attributes that we see in Scripture. All the songs, for the most part, that we sing, oftentimes we're found right here. We're singing Scripture. We're singing the truth of who God is. And sometimes I have to be regularly reminded about who God is. Do you need to be reminded about who God is? I do. In a world that is full of the opposite of who God is, in a world where I'm saturated with living in that world, I need to be reminded regularly about who he is. And that's what singing does, is it reminds me of the character and the nature of who he is. And I have to sing it not only to him, I have to sing it to myself. Have you ever sung worship songs where you're singing it, but you don't know if you really believe it or trust it? Have you ever done that? The Bible calls that a a sacrifice of praise, a sacrifice of worship. Learning to lament and say, I want to trust this, Jesus. I want to believe this. But in my heart, I'm hurting. I'm broken. I need to be reminded of who God is. And when you understand how amazing it is, when we understand how amazing God is, you can't help but worship. You can't help but sing. And oftentimes, the depth of our worship is actually fundamentally tied to our understanding of who God is. We understand who God is and how amazing he is, we worship. Because we begin to understand the gap from which we live in. The gap of of the greatness and awe of who God is and yet the brokenness of my life and the brokenness of the environment and the world that I find myself in. It's in worship where Something pretty amazing happens when we sing. What happens when we sing? Notice the next word. It says enthroned. You are holy, yet God is enthroned. The Hebrew word is yashab. Everybody say yashab. This means to dwell, to remain, to sit, to abide, or inhabit. I I love uh, King James. I mean, King James fans out there, right? Going old school today. But thou art holy, it says Psalm 22, 3. O thou that inhabitest. Try and say that. That's pretty good, right? Inhabitest. The praises of Israel. The praises of Israel. God dwells, remains, sits, abides amongst the praises of his people. This idea of praises, it means to praise, a song, a hymn of praise. Hebrew word is tahila. I love that Hebrew word. It sounds like something else, right? <laughs> tahila, right? Some of you are like, I'm always going to remember that Hebrew word, right? I want you to listen to this. Praise, song, hymn of praise, pra- praise, adoration, thanksgiving that's paid to God or owed to God. An act of public praise, praise song, praise demanded by qualities or deeds or attributes of God, renown, fame, glory. Talked about David, about he lived his life, Kaddish Hashem, to bring God's name as a famous name, as holy, as set apart, all of his life, but also his singing to God. This is where God resides among his people. When people gather together to sing, God inhabits. He, he, he meets us in this place. 
when we come ready to sing about the goodness of who he is. Here's what's fascinating. That word praises, the word tehillah, the root word, the root word of that word is halal. Here's what's fascinating. It means to praise, to boast, to be boastful, to be commended, to make into a fool, to act like a madman. And so what it's saying here is that our worship, that God inhabits this place or any place where his people come together and worship him, and the root word of that is this idea of like, you look like a fool to the rest of the world. You look like a madman to the rest of the world. The world looks and goes, what are you doing? Let me tell you about my God. Let me tell you about what he's like. Let me tell you about the things that he's done for my life. Do you want to get God's attention? Psalm 22 says that if you want to get God's attention, your worship will get God's attention. That when a group of people get together and come to sing and to worship the one and true God, God takes notice. God goes, those are my people. This is where I reside. This is where I reside. Give you a story in the scriptures where this plays out. Second Samuel, here's David again. Second Samuel chapter six. David is bringing the Ark of the Covenant from Shiloh to Jerusalem. Why? He wants the Ark of the Covenant close to him. Why? The Ark of the Covenant belongs in the Holy of Holies. Holy of Holies is where God's spirit resides. He says, I wanna take it from Shiloh to Jerusalem. Where does David live? He lives in Jerusalem. He wants God's spirit near to him. And so he's bringing the Ark of the Covenant, 2 Samuel chapter six, to Jerusalem. Now, just be honest, like how they do it is not orderly. It's not how God wanted it. It's a disaster. Someone dies because they're not following the rules that God had said about how you take care of the Ark of the Covenant. That's the tragedy of the story. But I want you to look at what happens here, how David responds to the Ark of the Covenant, God's Spirit coming. David and all Israel were celebrating, what to say? With all their might. This is how they celebrated. Halal, madman, crazy, with all their might. Before the Lord, with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. Verse 14, wearing linen ephod. What is that? It's a priestly garment. David puts on a priestly garment. Why? Because he wants to be connected to the Levitical priesthood of worshiping and sending offerings to the Lord. He puts on an ephod. Symbolism. David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. Anybody got any Footloose fans? Footloose? You remember that scene? He's quoting this right here. Dancing with all his might, right? While he, he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and songs of, and sound of trumpets, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of uh, Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. And when David returned home to bless his, his household, uh, the daughter of Saul came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any full, vulgar fellow would. And David said, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone else from this house. He appointed me ruler over the Lord's people of Israel and I will celebrate before the Lord and I will become even more undignified. Remember that old school youth group song? 
I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. Psalm 103.1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me, bless his holy name. You want to get God's attention? Come, ready to sing and worship with all of your might, with everything that you have. God takes notice of our worship and longs for us to sing to him because at the core, it reflects how our heart is inclined to him. Our heart's inclined to him. Why don't we sing? A couple things. I can't sing. Anybody fall in this category? Raise your hand. I can't sing. Be honest, it's okay. I'm right there with you. The Jordans are not known for our singing. That's why I sit in the front row. I'm being really honest here. These guys, they hear it even with the in-ears. They're like, whoa, what is that sound over there? I can't sing. But I sing. Why? Because... He's deserving of my worship. The Bible says, make a joyful noise. Right? Not a perfect noise. You struggle? Come on up in the front row. I got a couple people that always are in the front row with me, right? Come right here. Don't worry about what's going on behind you. Come right here. I can't sing. Me too. I'm in a bad or hard place right now. I'm angry with God. I want to tell you, I've been there. We're going to talk more about this in two weeks. I don't like the music or the volume. I want to tell you, on a regular basis, we hear it's too loud, it's too quiet. If it's not loud enough, just sing louder. If it's, if it's too loud, we've got earplugs. Seriously, we do. I don't understand it. I don't understand what's going on. If you're here, hang with us. Just hang out with us. Hang out with God's people, because over time, you're going to understand more and more of who God is. I just want to say this really quick. Our worship team and our AVL team are amazing. They're in a lose-lose situation every single Sunday. Because there's no way to appease 300 people. But guess what? They're not doing it for you. Worship is an opportunity for us to give God what he rightfully deserves because he's holy and he is good. I love this quote from Aaron Couch. Says that, he says this, Worship is the thing I can choose to give God that he has not given me first. Everything else I could offer him is something he has already given me. Let's think about this for a second. Time? I'm going to give God my time. He already gave you the time. Well, the things that he's gifted me with, the things that I'm good at serving at, he gave those things to you. And he wants you to give those back to him. He wants, to, he wants you to honor everything that he's given you. 
your tithe, your finances. He already gave that to you. Worship is the only thing that you can say, I'm going to give this to God. I'm going to give this to God. Because he's rightfully do that because he is good. The question we've got to ask ourselves is how do we move to a mindset where we understand that worship matters to God, that my singing matters to him? How should I approach this place? How should I approach any place where I'm gathering with his people to sing? What's the mindset? Hebrews tells us, Hebrews chapter 12. says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken... Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. These are the types of passages that we like, oh, let's just move right along, right? Move right along. This is the part of God that we don't like to hang out in. To offer our worship with Acceptably, with reverence and awe, for God is a consuming fire. What does that mean? This, this should make us uncomfortable. Anybody else uncomfortable? I'm uncomfortable when I read it. What does this mean? It means that we shouldn't necessarily be afraid unless we're out of covenant relationship with God. Fear is probably a healthy thing. But we should look at this and wrestle with this we should look at this and ask ourselves this question. Do I live a life? Do I come here on Sunday morning with reverence and awe? Do I come here with reverence and awe? And what I'm about ready to dive into, this list, this is the list that you're going to get bunched up in. And if you get bunched up, ask yourself this question. Why am I getting bunched up right now? And I would love to have coffee with you. Unless there's a hundred of you, then it might take me a while. But I'd love to have coffee with you to talk to you about this. What is not reverence and awe? A couple things. Coming late to church. Right? If God is God, and he's holy, and he's worthy of our worship, we should come ready to make him put him on his throne in the rightful place of my heart and in my singing and in my worship, right? Does coming late to church actually show reverence and awe? Number two, not coming to church at all. Eh, I'll just stay home. He saved us from so much. Is he worthy of our singing? Is he worthy of our worship? Absolutely. Number three, thinking the music singing portion, it really doesn't matter it's just it's just singing is that what scripture says number four getting coffee talking to your neighbor hanging out in the lobby hey what do we say we're all about here we're all about making disciples and we're all about relationship right you know for me it's all about relationship loving god loving others love god love god Put him in his rightful place first, above all things. Leaving during the last worship song. Not the big deal, it's just the last worship song. We gotta beat the Baptist, the Idaho Pizza Company, right? Trust me, I've been there. I'm like, man, where are all these Christians coming from, man? He's worthy. He's worthy. 
believing that serving is the irreducible minimum. I'll just serve, then I'll go home. Is God worthy of our worship? Worship is only good if it invokes a feeling. We only feel, you know, the, the feel goods that you get sometimes in worship. Well, that's when it was good. Here's the thing. No matter how good or how bad it is up here, it should not dictate our worship. When we come from this place that God is holy, he deserves my reverence, my awe, and I'm going to bring all that I have within me to him, it changes me, it changes others, and it reminds me over and over again the goodness of who God is. A couple things I want you to think about. Do you come prepared on Sunday to experience God in a meaningful way? Do you come ready to experience him in a meaningful way? Do you prepare yourself every Sunday for worship? Do you do that? When I was in Israel and they got ready for Sabbath on Friday night, the sun's coming down and the town just lit up. People running around from store to store getting supplies. Why? Because Sabbath is coming. God is deserving of my rest to him. It was just crazy to watch the town light up. Why? Because they were preparing for Sabbath. They were preparing to worship God for 24 hours, to cease everything and to be with God. They approached it with reverence and awe. Do you approach Sunday that way? A couple weeks ago, my wife said, I need to get better at this. And she said, I just got up early, earlier than I normally do spent time with the Lord, tried to help my kids remember why we're going to do what we're doing, listening to worship music on the way, on the drive-in. It impacted my worship because I was coming into this place ready to put God in his rightful place. I want to tell you this quick story. Roger Bunsey shared his testimony yesterday at men's breakfast. I just want to read you this part of his story and what I saw in him a couple months ago. January 20th, Susie, his wife, and I decided we wanted to be free from work and travel more. Susie always loved traveling. We sold the farm in North Idaho and moved down to here to Boise in April of 2020. Here, we were just a few minutes from her kids and grandkids. In September, my wife had a seizure and found a brain tumor. It was a roller coaster ride as they didn't at first diagnose geoblastoma, but that would be the final prognosis. Still, for all this time, we chose to live our lives one day at a time, living life to the fullest and trusting God. She went through radiation and chemotherapy to no avail, and by late January, we knew she only had weeks to live. Over the course of a few weeks, we traveled three different times. On the last trip, she, could, she became completely wheelchair-bound. By the time I got her home, she only had a few days until she was bed-bound. She only lasted a couple weeks as I watched her change so rapidly until I made the choice to take her off the drugs and let her go. Four days later, she passed on March 7th. Looking back, I can't help but believe that God brought us down to Boise to spend these last months with family. My days are now filled with a range of feelings and emotions, disbelief, deep sadness, Sobbing are common as I long for the beautiful woman that I love so deeply. During the days, I try to keep myself busy, continue to live life, 
asking God to give me strength to go on for him to fill this massive hole in my heart with more of Jesus. We did Susie's memorial here on a Saturday. And the next day, this whole family took up a whole row and worshiped. And I walked through here and I was like, what are they doing here? I mean, if anybody has an excuse to not be at church the next day and to be worshiping Jesus, it'd be that family. I mean, they just buried an amazing woman of God. Why are they here? And I told Roger, I said, you, you impacted me profoundly with your faith, with your worship. And I asked him, can I share that story? And he said, absolutely. And then he says this. He says, we wouldn't be anywhere else but here worshiping Jesus. Reverence and awe of the goodness of who God is. A couple things I want you to think about. If I want to experience God in a meaningful way, it means connecting with a body of believers who are serious about offering God their praise and worship. Reflect what it means for you to restore reverence and awe in your worship and come back next week ready to worship and experience God in an expectant way, not a passive way, because God inhabits the praises of his people. He's inviting us to worship him with all of our mind, with reverence and all. Jesus said, my followers will worship me in spirit and in truth. I want to invite you to just bow your heads as we get ready to go to communion and ask the question, what is Jesus inviting you into when it comes to worship this morning?